All right, you guys, welcome to episode 80 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady, and um, you guys, Malls is back to conclude this three-part Brittany Murphy trilogy. We've gone from like fun and like kind of silly to like a little bit more silly, but also kind of sad to now this is just fully dark depressing and uh really just like awful but i'm weirdly kind of excited to get into it honey that's my happy place i hate to say it because i feel like it sounds so like like bad to be like i really love the depressing stuff but i think that like this is the stuff that's makes shows like this so interesting it because like y'all really like that i mean obviously true crime is a huge genre this is just that but like applied to the celebrity world which is even more fun and delicious so yeah yeah i don't feel too bad about enjoying this yeah i always say i get the most feedback on episodes that are like the darkest like when i'm talking about like katie perry and like russell brand just like being silly and dumb like it's fun but like ones like this people really for you know they connect to so um well because the tea has been spilt like you know yeah. in order for something to be juicy something had to go down yeah. Um, and so this is this and oh boy did it go down with simon monjack and Brittany murphy yeah and i will say just to be transparent like i simon monjack was a really big blind spot for me as i know he was for a lot of people but like even after like i never really took the time to like get to know who he was um that he was like this noted like svengali basically like that people yeah. like, really fucking hated him i knew that he was a shady character but i didn't know that he was like all around despised by a lot of people yeah i was working in gossip at the time and like it definitely wasn't we were covering like john and kate more like at that time right um but like this was definitely like when the rumblings of him being a bad guy kind of started that's when you sort of hooked into it which made obviously her death all that much more alarming because we knew stuff had been wrong with, with Brittany and that, you know, she was getting taken advantage of by this guy at the very least. But, um, like for her to die, it was like, Oh, like really at the time it was all eyes on him because the, just him showing up in her life, you know, was so seemed so sudden, but you know, you know, they had a history, they had a long history yeah and i wrote in my notes that this is like you know this is one of those deaths that will go down in just sort of um infamous history as far as like you know that's like a merlin merlin monroe uh michael jackson like john benet this is just one of those deaths that will always have questions that will probably never be able to answer unfortunately and um it's really sad you know it's just it's she died in such a dark dark period of her life she was in such a low point and this guy was so much to blame for that and he really he really just like took a girl who was sort of losing her way and like falling down a rabbit hole and he latched onto that and just manipulated the fuck out of her and she died in that sort of spiral which is horrible yeah and i and i don't know like i don't want to um you can cut this if it's like too early but like can we just note that you know when you say we'll never really know what happened it's that much darker because the day that we're recording this, it's uh, Thursday, January 24th. It just hit the news that her dad finally passed away after a long time of being like in a coma, essentially. And yeah. he was the one that was mainly fighting to, you know, reconcile some things and maybe find out if something real, much more wrong than was reported or even suspected had happened. So 
Um, in a, well, like, yeah, we'll definitely not get answers at this point. It's very unlikely we'll ever get answers. Well, yeah. Do you want to go ahead and I guess I can go ahead and introduce the episode and do the uh, what I what I call housework, and then we can get started and talk about Brittany. Roll in. All right, so you guys, Brittany and Simon started dating technically in January of 2007. They were engaged that March, and they were married by April. Um, This guy moved in really fast. Brittany died on December 20th of 2009. Simon died five months later. Um, You know, mysteriously, he died of two of the three um, same causes that killed Brittany, and it's led a lot of people to believe that they were poisoned and her mom thought that there was black mold in their house. There's all these conspiracy theories. Um, and they had actually, she met him uh, in 1995, but they approached each other romantically for the first time in 2002. And I mean, you know, you and I last week, we talked about how Brittany was sort of inching towards this really uh, sort of dark, um, uninsurable, time in her career where she was like she was being with just rumors and like you know very poor public perception overall and um you know i i will say actually i'm gonna like retract some things and i hate to do this but like i did a lot more digging yesterday uh, the other day after we talked and i don't entirely like disagree with my idea that like she needs a lot of empathy and that a lot of this was a lot of like she was very victimized in my mind in a lot of ways But going back through um, Crazy Days and Nights and some of the other blind item sites, um, you know, there's much more. There's a lot of stuff that was confirmed um, that I didn't realize about her drug use, Um, which I always thought was, you know, I really do buy if, you know, you have a heart murmur or whatever it was she had, like that is enough to keep most people off the pipe or, you know, or whatever. But like fully meth was... Meth was the rumor. Yeah. I read that too. Meth was the rumor. And, you know, she did kind of live by this. Um, it became her, her like, tagline for these last few years of her life that, you know, I can't do drugs. I have a heart condition. I can't do drugs. I have a heart condition. That's what she would always tell people. And then Simon continued that, like, you know, during their time together and then after she died, that, like, you know, she never did anything. She had this heart problem. And it's like, well, she also died of, I mean, issues with her, her heart. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just, it's pneumonia is not great for some, like, pneumonia is known to, like, sort of just double down on any illness you have. Yeah. And she was definitely, I wrote in my notes that she was sort of like a hot potato in Hollywood. It was like all these people that she had sort of looked to in the past. None of them really wanted anything to do with her, even though they respected her and thought she was a great actress. Her name was just dragged through the dirt so much that it was like, nobody wanted to act with or hire Brittany Murphy. She was... Yeah, it was like this Simon, I think marrying Brittany, I think Brittany marrying Simon rather was sort of the last leg that was kicked out from underneath her because this was like you know, this was a sketchy guy. Like, yeah. this didn't make sense to anyone. This isn't one of those romances where you're like, oh, this, like, beautiful actress is married to, like, this hideous singer or, like, this, like, you know, this composer, this behind-the-scenes businessman. Like, the public was sketchy about him when they were dating and then the quick engagement. And the last thing I think anyone... Like the last shred is when you seem like you have no common sense and you're exactly. desperate. You know, that's the like that loses any other respect that might be left. 
Yeah, and I wanted to because so in every document document i'm acting like i'm like a fucking forensics uh <laughs> detective and every article that i read they sort of chalked this up to be um like a straight to dvd straight to video era of her career but i wanted to try and find like definitively all of the stuff that had kind of fallen fallen out from beneath her um what she had gotten fired from or what she was working on um yeah so I read that she was let go by Warner Brothers for Happy Feet 2, which was a really big deal for her because she got to sing in that movie, and that was something that she never really got to explore. Right. Um, she, Little Black Book... She was in the first one, right? Yeah, she was in the first one, and she got to sing... I think she sang, like, a Queen song. She sang, like, a Freddie Mercury song. And that was okay. a big deal for her. She was excited that she finally got to, like, sing in a movie, even if she was <clears throat> in England. Um yeah, and it's also, like, that's a, a mark for an actor or an actress that, like, things are happening for you because you're doing, you're animating, like, you're doing a voice in an animation that will be seen by families and children forever. That's, like, a coveted spot. Yeah, and, like, you know, she was a successful, I mean, she had also, so she, Warner Brothers let her go, but then she, Little Black Book did terrible, and that was the last studio film she was ever in and it was panned it was a horrible movie um she was dropped by king of the hill which was a huge deal considering that was a job that she took at the beginning of that show in the beginning of her career she had no idea that she was going to become famous and it was huge for her it was huge and then king of the hill went on to become this emmy nominated like totally respected show and you know that was like her bread that was like her bread and butter it's like Mila Kunis like coming on to be Meg Griffin. It's like that isn't that is a money job. Like those run into syndication forever. I'm not gonna like lie and say I think it's the easiest job. It's definitely not the hardest. So everyone oh, in yeah. loves the voiceover gig, right? Um, but I, I, it's odd because she is listed as having been on King of the Hill through 2010, um, and that's obviously not accurate yeah they i mean in the final seasons of the show she like wasn't really a part of it and i think it's because they still mention her character throughout it but like they let her go which is really sad and because that's like honestly weirdly like king of the hill is one of my all-time favorite shows and like what she brings to uh luann on that show is incredible um and then she was dropped from the 2008 adaption of tinkerbell and then she was replaced in The Expendables. So it was just back to back to back to back, um, just like bullets to her career. Yeah. Um, and Simon I, was also managing her at this time. So like, because yeah. like, she got dropped from her agency during the whole Jordash junkie thing. And like, yeah, Hollywood loves uh, a boyfriend, a weird boyfriend as an agent. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's always proven itself in the past to be a really, really successful thing to do. Yeah, just like stick the weird boyfriend in that's also like a known sociopath. Like that's definitely someone you want to do business with. <laughs> that's a good transition because like I said, I, you know, we've kind of talked a lot about Britney and obviously we're going to talk more about her in this period, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Simon just because there have to be other people listening to this podcast that don't know a lot about his past. I mean, I sure. did. So I, I took a lot of notes um, based on this sort of like, just sort of this Fingali character that I didn't know was like this like cloaked, maniacal sort of maniac just like running rampant throughout he, you know, the world, raising he hell. He sought her out. He literally spent, this man spent years 
trying to to get her gain her trust so he could sink his claws into her it's like true sociopath he saw her vulnerability and he went for it and the really funny thing about him too is that everybody in his life including his mom confirms that he is like this like he he's the person that the media makes him out to be yeah Um, according to his wikipedia page and his imdb he's a screenwriter film director film producer and makeup artist um his mom i know his mom is a hypnotherapist and his dad passed away when he was 15 of a brain tumor and his mom has actually said in interviews that after his dad passed away simon had a really hard time separating facts from fiction and he would make up these stories and these exaggerations about his life um she also said that he was extremely intelligent on a scale that was like unprecedented like she couldn't believe how smart he was yeah used his abilities to manipulate people he was a sociopath um and he did that for the remainder of his life which people often say is born out of trauma which makes total sociopathy is like born out of sociopathy that's born out of uh it's born out of trauma so like yeah yeah, so that makes a lot of sense that his mom dies and all of a sudden he has this switch where you know consideration of other people's emotions is is all but you know impossible yeah and the really funny thing is he so like i said he you know he's got this he's a jack of all trades according to him he has writing and producing credits on factory girl and a film two days nine lives that his his parents actually financed for him um but his work as a makeup artist uh spans one film called abandoned starring his wife Brittany murphy where he essentially tousled her hair and gave himself a hair and makeup credit um but yeah listed as as a just a video on imdb it doesn't even say like cv like series movie tv series like it just says video um which is interesting and this was the set she was fired from because of like their sort of like codependence right yeah because he got drunk and basically um threatened everybody on set and lost his shit which i i did take notes about that because it's kind of a big deal i mean and again it's something that i again a a blind spot for me i didn't even know that that happened um but i didn't also didn't know that in hollywood he was nicknamed con jack yeah or they even got together um and he was i mean before he even met her he had all this trouble with the law in 2005 there was a warrant issued for his arrest for credit card fraud um in virginia and in 2006 he was evicted from his home um he had four homes and he owed a total of like nearly five hundred thousand dollars to the bank um he was arrested in 2007 for an expired visa and he did inherit money from his dad's death but he had spent that years and years before he like was romantically involved in britney like at that point he was broke yeah he was paying off credit cards Um, can I throw out just something a little bit historically about his ties to factory girl, if you don't mind? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. So for anyone who doesn't remember factory girl was Edie Sedwick. It's like the biography sort of, it was starring Sienna Miller. Right. And, um, it was Mary Kate Olsen, like one of her first films outside of the whackness that she like tried to maintain an acting career into her adult life. Um, and basically, oh, my therapist is calling me. Oh, <laughs> you need to take it. 
No, I just like literally just think she was just popping in to say hi. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah, um, but I haven't like I like. Yeah. Anyway, we're like too close. Like I haven't seen her in a while because we're like too close. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like she like low key breaks client privilege and like yeah. <laughs> like you know like we were talking about going to Japan together and like she like texts me stories about like her time in Haight Ashbury with like the Manson girls before they were the Manson girls. So holy shit. Yeah. Like by the way, like I am that type of person where like I can't. My therapist needs to have lived through some shit. Like I <laughs> yeah. You know, like I can't go to a therapist. I went to a therapist who I thought was like a fucking nerd and I got no work done because I was like, yeah, you fucking nerd. Like, you know, I was just like in my head, I was like, what the fuck do you know about life? Yeah. Like, you know, so I need someone that's like, like if you tell them something crazy, they're just going to be like, hmm, okay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And like know that it's wrong. They know it's bad, but they're not like, what? You know, which is like what a lot of therapists do. So. Basically, like, there's a lot of ways that people can get attached to movies as producers, right? They, like, invest money in it or they, you know, um, they, like, did a deal or they're part of, like, a bigger picture thing where, like, it works for everyone in the movie. Um, There's also, like, ways that, like, you can, what they call, like, front-loading with producers, which basically means a movie just costs a lot more money to make and it's more, less likely to get made. Um, but, and, that, and all of that means like those little title cards you see before a movie, right? Anyway, so the way that like a lot of people that are like, that don't really care about working in this town, but like actually just want to like cash in, a quick and dirty easy scheme is to be like, you stole my script. And like, that happens a lot. Like there was a whole case with New Girl that you guys should like check out um, and look that up where... There was a writer who claimed, you know, like new girl, the entire concept was stolen. And like that, like obvious, I think it proved to be like untrue or it came to some sort of settlement where the girl just like shut the fuck up about it um, because like it wasn't pursuable. Right. But, you know, basically what they did with this is like they could argue maybe Simon Monjack, he was like someone who talked a lot. You know what I mean? He was someone that was around at parties like. Simon Monjack is the kind of guy that, like, you know, in early stages of development, if you saw him at a party and you, like, said your idea and he gave you one idea, which is a lot of times why people say legally, like, don't talk about what you're working on at all. Um, that could have given him, like, a leg in to be like, well, that, like, major story point, like, that was because of me. Like, I'm partially responsible for this story. Right. So, basically, like, the film director, he came out and said, and this quote's just right on... Um, uh, George Hickenlooper, he was the director, and he said, Monjack had nothing to do with Factory Girl. It was a friz- uh, He filed a frivolous lawsuit against us, making bogus claims that we had stolen his script. He held us legally hostage, and we were forced to settle with him um, as he held our production over a barrel. So, like, that is, like, that's a very quick and easy money scheme. Like, sometimes there is validity in it, but more often than not, this is, like, it's someone trying to, like, find a way in on a technicality. And, like, when you saw that, like, fucking Instagram bio of a, you know, multi-hyphenate career that he's given himself, like, he's a writer, producer, blah, blah, blah. He's none of those fucking things. Right. Sold, he, like, you know, he, he put his foot in the door through a lawsuit and threats, got himself a producer credit, 
And like, you know, what else did he do besides that? He had a B movie before that. And then like, then went on to sort of just like leech off of Britney until she died. Yeah. And I know that I do have somewhere in my notes, but I don't want to like, cause I'll, if I skip ahead, I know that I'll like lose myself and like go crazy. I'll like Fembot, but I do have a quote. I did read at some point, Britney actually contacted that guy and was like, can you please like give some sort of positive interview about Simon because if you take him down you're gonna take me down too and I can't afford to go down any more than I have which is just like it just breaks my heart that this she was just so you know just undoubtedly like committed to this guy who was so blatantly using her like he couldn't have been more obvious about it she was the only one that didn't get it it's very obvious that she needed him in a way that like even if it took her down Because she was, like, too smart to know that this wasn't bad. She knew. But, like, she wanted this more. And, like, that, you know, we see that a lot of times in celebrity relationships or whatever. Like, one could say that, like, Britney and Kevin were like that. Where, like, Britney just, like, continued to fight for him and, like, trot him out for the press, even though America couldn't have hated him more. Right. Because they represent something in their life that means way more to them than we could ever really understand you know what i mean but it's like unhealthy oh of course it's you know what i mean it's completely like codependent like if yeah. not more than that it's like can you please hold me in stockholm syndrome like mm-hmm. she, well she was definitely seduced by him and i think like groomed by him i think that she like the thing that made him do that was that like that obvious willingness she had to be that which sucks because i've been there as a chick like totally getting manipulated by a guy and knowing it was happening but like not knowing how to stop the part of me that like kind of craved that like that like relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah no matter how like that part of the, in the back of your brain where like you know that it's bad, but like you're just kind of like trucking forward and like hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I should also mention that in so in early, like I said, they had known each other for a really, really, really long time. Um, Brittany was actually the one that reached out to him initially. She was filming The Ramen Girl in Tokyo, and she contacted him to let him know that she liked his script for a film called The White Hotel um, that was like being passed around, and she asked if they could meet up when she got back to L.A. They went to dinner at Hotel Bel Air, and the next week, um, I mean, he followed her to New York, and she did press for a movie, and from that moment, they had never spent any time apart the only time that they ever spent apart from that day uh was like nine days while he was in the hospital for his heart issues but they'd never ever spent a single day away from each other and yeah it seemed like it was a big surprise to even like her mom it was very out of character for britney to like kind of like hijack like take you know have a seek like have a secret from her mom or like to, oh yeah oh yeah you know like not t- consult and like it was almost like a secret or something but like just really quickly to sorry to go back no, like fine. i know you mentioned that they first met in 1999 but like my understanding is that he often like he often presented himself in her life like he was a paparazzi for a while he would approach her at parties and like so he became like a familiar face so when she really like reached out to him it was because he had sort of established himself as this person who saw her as the star in any room which is something we know britney struggled with is feeling like she was you know that beautiful actress that yeah. you know 
Yeah, especially because, uh, like we mentioned earlier, he was somebody who considered himself to be like a jack of all trades. So b- pretty much any job he could do to like further himself or at least say that he had done that said job, um, he would do it. You know what I mean? And he, yeah, he, I think it was 95. He met her when she was like a teenager. He met her like in the movie anyway. He met her like out on the red carpet at Clueless. Yeah. I mean, she was like a little, actually literally a little girl. Um, and but, one, one more question I have, like, um, so sorry. No, you're fine. Um, I had one more question. Oh, so like, I do, I know that like Simon had other like people that he had screwed over, like that he had other women who supposedly felt that they were engaged to him or whatever. But I think we would have known if he had tried this with multiple women in Hollywood, like something would have oh, been yeah. said about that. And so to me, like, I really wonder like how, why, like when, he really chose to like lean into Britney. Like if he just saw her and knew he had to have her, his hooks in her, like as soon as he saw her, um, because like if he had been doing this with like other actresses around that, you know, I think people would have stepped forward. Like we would have seen more articles that weren't about like 40 year old women that had grudges with him. We'd see like young ingenues that he'd also been sort of tracking down for years. And so right. just the way he picked her is really interesting to me. Yeah, I actually do have a theory about that, um, about the reason that he picked her at the time that he did and why they, in their engagement and everything. Um, Okay, sorry to step back. Sorry, keep going. No, you're fine. Um, She, so basically, she, Brittany believed all these things about him, like wholeheartedly. He presented this image to her that he was this like wealthy, educated filmmaker from the UK who you know, had all these connections in Hollywood and all these people wanted to work with him. And he had all these scripts going out that were like going to be a thing. Um, Also that he had this giant fortune and that he was an heir to this big giant throne from his dad. And at that point, Brittany was under the impression that he was going to revive her career. He told her, you know, I'm going to like help you become like this big budget movie star again. And we're going to get you out of these like low budget films and off of these like straight to DVD films or whatever. Um, and a week before Brittany and Simon announced to the world that they had secretly gotten married, they were photographed drinking uh, crown Royal at a playboy event in the Kentucky Derby. Um, and according to sources, Brittany and Simon were trying to hide it because they wanted to announce it the following Monday. Now, this is really fascinating to me. This is, like, really funny. So the HollywoodGossip.com had announced that Brittany and Simon had this, like, secret marriage or whatever. And yeah. They, uh, they had released a follow-up article the following week where basically they had gotten so much negative feedback from people who knew him and people, like, industry people that were, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like people that were like, I want this comment to be public. Can you please publish this? They actually mm-hmm. went back and published an article specifically of comments from people who like knew him that were trying to get through to Britney and be like, don't trust this guy. And yeah. even specifically said like, we got 20 times more comments, ne- more negative comments in reference to this than we did for Britney and Kevin, which in 2007, that actually means a lot. Yeah. It meant a lot. I wrote down a couple of them. Uh, The first one says, Simon is a con artist. He conned his last girlfriend out of her car and money. He left her with awful credit, frequently uses different social security numbers. He left his other girlfriend in London with a $20,000 credit card bill she's unaware of 
she was unaware of until he was long gone in another country. He is a master at lying. Brittany, please beware. I hope you're reading this. And then another person said, Simon Monjack is a tremendous con artist, sociopath, and thief. It is wow. amazing that he will still he that he's still on the loose and not in jail. He's con many women into giving him money, changing his cell phone number, and all while pretending that he is an important figure in Hollywood. He somehow lost his family's money on the truly horrific film Two Days Nine Lives and has been scrambling to catch a wealthy or at least connected woman to open the doors for him. Mm-hmm. Um so this kind of plays into my theory of as to why he chose her at the time that he did. Um, apparently, this woman named Tiara Rafiq, who he was with before, uh, tried to get in contact with Brittany to warn her to stay away from him. She couldn't, obviously, because at this point, he has her completely cut off from the world. So she released a statement publicly hoping that Brittany would read it, basically just saying that, you know, Simon proposed to her and she found out after he kind of just took off and didn't even tell her where he was going, um, that the ring was fake and that the engagement was kind of fake and that he was actually facing deportation. So he was trying to attach himself to somebody, not only that he could like stay in the country for, but like was what he was like, it was wealthy. And right. Brittany was that that gal. He was and like, sense, like maybe like he sensed that there was still because he was coming from such a desperate place. If I had to like speculate, yeah, he, he felt like because for him that would still bring up his profile, you know. So yeah, like, absolutely, like she's rich, she's desperate, she's willing to go for it. You mm-hmm. know, this is a perfect package for him. And he definitely sniffed out all of her insecurities because he. This guy is. There's no speculation that this guy is a sociopath. Like he's like a true and true, like like this is like classic. And he, he sniffed out. Her. He did. He hunted her, and it's like, it's just wild. Like it's it's crazy to me that she was in such a low point that this person who was a blatant, like all of these red flags meant nothing to her. Like that's that's how low she was. Yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. Like um. You know, it's like, I think that industry, this industry does that to people as well. Like where it's like, you go from being worth every t- everything to worth nothing in your own mind. And that's just not true. You know what I yeah. mean? There's like, she still was a valuable person in society. She still was like a good person. She was paying taxes. You know, she wasn't like, this wasn't someone who was like in financial peril. And, you know, she was like, and she wasn't like, you know, drunk driving around town. Like she was, she's a like, you know, she's a good person. She would have yeah. survived, you know, if, even if she just like, it's just, I think for artists in particular, and also this town, it's a very all or nothing mentality mm-hmm. where it's like, either I'm an actor or like, I'm going to work at Applebee's mm-hmm. and like, I don't, you know, like I would like, I would rather it's very hard. It's very hard to be humble and it's really hard to get back to a work ethic if you never really had one in a traditional sense, like a nine to five. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I think that that's like such an important thing to bring up because she was, you know, people forget. It's like, we look back on Clueless and we're like, oh, cute. Like Britney's first movie, but she was 15. You know what I mean? Like she was plucked from New Jersey. She was 15 years old and she kind of hit the, hit the ground running as soon as that movie came out. Like she had no, like coping mechanisms like that an, a normal adult person would have. Like she'd never, like you said, worked like a normal job. Um, she had been like working since she was a kid. She uh, also didn't have a childhood. Like that's the other thing. It's like, fuck. It's like, you know, if you never had a real job, but that like you would at least, 
let's hope that you got a real childhood. But I think, you know, she was so driven to get out here that like, she just didn't have that. And like, I think obviously, as I said on the previous episode, sort of like carried on to her twenties, you know, her having this sort of like buffet of opportunity that she worked so hard for. Yeah. And like leading up to their, um, leading up to their one year anniversary anniversary, which would have been the following like April, May, cause they got married in spring. Um, she told people magazine that, uh, they were planning on having children in 2009 and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that was a really big deal for her. And they asked her how she was dealing with the scrutiny of their relationship. Cause at this point, like they could barely really even like leave their house. Not that they wanted to, cause they were like extremely reclusive. And, um, she said, we've stopped using the internet lately. No blogs. We're a blog free couple. And then Simon said in the same interview, all these ridiculous people came out and said all this nonsense when we got married. Thank God we had the substance and the history within that to say, whatever, we still don't understand what happened. It made us laugh. It made us cry, but it's definitely made us stronger. Um, And this was, as you mentioned earlier, November 30th was the end of the year around the time that she was fired from the film, The Caller. Um, It was reported that Simon had showed up on set drunk and he was belligerent. Um, I guess he had gotten in some fight, like physical altercations with like some locals um, while they were in Puerto Rico. Um, so she was only filmed for a day. And according to Brittany, it was mutual. And she backed out of the film because the movie had an, <laughs> had gone from being this like sort of a fantasy drama. It's like a full on horror film that she didn't want to be a part of and involved she, in witchcraft and voodoo. She always said like, she doesn't want to do horror. It like freaks her out, which is so funny because like, I would say, don't say a word, which is one of her best performances, right? a horror movie. But that was also a theme in the movie as well. And I apologize to everyone for like referencing the movie because obviously there's a lot of inaccuracies in there. Um, But for the most part, like the broad strokes are correct. And like towards the end of her life, she was very adamant about not wanting to do horror, which everyone knows watch Lindsay Lohan's career. Like that is where you wind up, you know, like like that's kind of skid row for actresses, but there's still opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, it is funny. And especially because it's like, don't say a word is not only like one of her best performances, but it's like, it's the one that she's, it's one of the three films that she's, that's quoted when people talk about Brittany Murphy, like the don't say a word star, the clueless star. It's like when people talk about Brittany and they say like, oops, she's done it again. Or like the toxic singer. Right. It's like, that's her Wait, legacy. What, what's the third movie? I would say clueless. Don't say a word. And I always read girl interrupted. Oh, smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was also reported during this time that um, the, oh yeah. So the producer of factory girl, this is around that time that he had come out and said all that stuff and uh, that he had had nothing to do with the film. And then Richard Golub, I know I'm pronouncing his name wrong. It's Gulab. Um, He was this author. He was like a high power attorney in New York. Um, Somehow he got roped into like the writing process for factory girl. uh, And then he backed out and didn't want to be a part of it. Once he realized all this tomfoolery was going on. And he said in an interview, I told him, I really don't want to be a part. I don't want to be in business with someone who is film, who is film flaming people. You've left a trail of people behind that are going to sue you because you took their trust funds or inherent inheritance. You know what I'm trying to say? 
inheritances, inheritances or con them into investing in projects you've never delivered. And Simon responded to me and said, look, you really have my number. I've led this really fucked up life and I really have conned and cheated a lot of people, but I'm trying to turn over a new leaf and I need help. Um, and yeah, this was also around the time that Brittany contacted George, the producer of the film and said, like, can you please help me and not, not take down my husband? And he said that he told her, um, you've got to clear your head on this. He said, I just knew that she was so, this is actually really important. He said, I knew that she was so fragile that anyone who lovingly gave her the time of day and could put up with her eccentricities, she would be attached to immediately. And like, that is so telling that Brittany Murphy saw herself as this sort of eccentric, damaged, like fucked up person. And that- Do you want to know what's so weird too? What? Is that like one of her like, a very good like friend of hers on the record is Winona Ryder, who I would say the same thing about. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, the eccentricities line is very interesting to me. Me too. It's like, very telling. That's, that's that word is very telling because yeah. like to use that word in particular, like if one thing is like her, um, you know, her quirks or something. Right. But like eccentricity is like, has such a great deep implication to it. And maybe that word was used. There's two reasons. One, it could be true. She was incredibly eccentric and like, we didn't have full access to that. Or two, like he was weaponizing that word to sort mm-hmm. of keep her in her place. Right. Yeah. And like the way that this guy is using it, you can tell that it's like, at this point, at this particular point in her life, she's riddled with all of these sort of mental health issues. And, you know, she feels like she's in a place where she's lucky probably to have this wealthy, amazing guy who wants to take care of her and bullies people for her and, you know, shows up on set to make sure she's not being taken advantage of. Like in her mind, it just, I don't know, like that word just really, it like means everything to me as far as like where she was at this point. Yeah. 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 And like, he seems like someone who's like, you know, some people aren't very intentional. Like, like my friend, I had like, he called me a kook. And I said to him, I can't say that. I was like, that's a very damning word for like a 35 year old woman. (laughs) That makes me sound like I'm fucking like gray gardens. Like I'm not, I'm not a kook, but like, that's a very like, but so like people fuck up like that. Like I think they just like misuse a word or they like throw a label at something and they don't really think about what it means. Yeah. But Simon was incredibly calculated. So yeah. you just know that like whatever that word meant, it was supposed to mean something. And that's one thing we can be sure of. Yeah. And like, you know, Brittany also, it's worth mentioning, like she didn't know anything about these previous women. I mean, they lived so in such a reclusive lifestyle. And like, that's something I'll talk about here in a minute, but like they lived like behind gates and they never really left their home. Um, yeah. And you know, she, he moved into her house and she didn't know that he had just left a woman with thousands of dollars of debt and back pay on rent because he had been writing all these bad checks to landlords. And, you know, Brittany ended up paying $10,000 to a casting director to get him out of like a bounced check situation. Like sounds right. As soon as he moved in. I mean, it's like, 
you know, I mean, I wrote in my notes that they basically lived in what you could describe as a pa- like a giant panic room. Like they were, had they had like Mission Impossible level cameras everywhere, all over their home. She was incredibly paranoid leading up to her death. Like, and I, you know, paranoia can spring from a lot of things. Like one being just like general conditions. Two, we hear about paranoia a lot like coming coming with attention um and like magnified by mental illness like a lot of the psychological breakdowns we've seen from celebrities in the press is like clearly like where you know the two where the two things cross you know where yeah. it's like mental illness plus undue like un- insatiable like need to be on top of a person's nuts you know yeah so sure. like and, like, she was also always, like, she definitely always was a homebody. Like, I could, you know, I could see, like, that was uh, that was part of the deterioration of her and Ashton's relationship. Yeah. But also, like, the more that, like, anytime you walk out of your house, like, you can't even go to, like, a boutique and get sweaters in Malibu without people being up your dick. Like, I would be yeah. at home 24-7 afraid that people were going to get me. I could see that slipping in really easily, especially if you factor in drug use, which both she and Brittany were allegedly doing meth, which is known for bringing on paranoia. Yeah. And like, you know, Simon also, I mean, he had people after him. And so he believed that their phones were being tapped and he was telling her that, you know, um, they had drones flying over their house and that there were helicopters trying to get photos inside their windows. And, you know, he really... I think he believed those things weirdly, but I also think that he knew that it was something that he could use to really like hammer in this control that he had over her life that, you know, like even her friends and her family gave all these exclusive to magazine exclusives to magazines, um, basically saying that, you know, Simon had trapped her in this web of paranoia and that he used it to separate her from her family and people that she'd had in her life, her whole life. Um, her, Simon's mom also confirmed that she actually only met Brittany once during the time that they were together because they just didn't. They that didn't doesn't meet. surprise me. Like he latched into her world, and like you know, you see that a lot with couples where it's like, God, it happened in the fucking Craigslist killer. Yeah, where he really kept his family at arm's length, and like almost, if anything, made his family seemed like they had a lot of issues when really all that they had was information about the way he's been his whole fucking life. God, dude, it's just like, you can't help but wonder what the temperature, like what it was like to walk into a house like that. You know what I mean? Well, there's just so much energy, like drugs, paranoia and this Fingali guy who's running from the government and running from lawyers and Brittany, who's like, like it would be dark a lot. It would be dark. It would mm-hmm. be like over furnished. Like, cause we know she kept like a lot of Brittany's furniture. So yeah. like, cause like she bought Britney Spears house for anyone who doesn't know like that. Like she kept a lot of that. And it just seemed like probably it was out of date, overstuffed. Yes. Dark, and also just like, I can't decide if they would have like nothing in the fridge or if it would be like they never left. So they had a huge fridge, like just full of shit. Like I can't decide yeah. if they're leftovers people or not, but like, that's like, that's where I'm at with trying to decode this energy. Like, cause it's, you just know, it was like probably just, it probably wasn't even thick with tension. It was probably just like cool with depression. 
Yeah, you're right. Just like cold and dark and yeah, no cluttered. Heat. Yeah, no heat. no heat. Like very yeah. like just because like that that would be too lively. Like that would be too living. And it seemed like they were, you know, Brittany in particular from the descriptions I've read. Like it seemed like she kind of just like sort of moved aimlessly, you know, up and down from her bedroom to her bathroom all the time. Like just sort yeah. of in the top floor of the house, like stagnant you know not working out not doing a lot of the things that people do to keep mentally healthy in this industry yeah and i've seen videos and stuff like i watched a video on youtube of of simon giving um a tour of their home like after she had passed away to like entertainment tonight or something and um he had you know a bunch of rooms of her stuff and it was very like it was hoardery in the sense that you could tell that they really enjoy like that the high and the thrill that they got if it wasn't from like drug use was like spending money like just buying yeah. it that they didn't need you know Brittany like buying absurd amounts of like clothing um yeah you know what i mean which also kind of plays into her insecurity uh of just clothes that she like did not need they weren't even like going places and she wasn't like going to like Like, they weren't like there was no minimalists in hollywood at this time like like now i think it gets a lot of press when you're like a rich person that lives simply but like um like you know like there's a reason why people like talk about like steve jobs like being such a minimalist and having a uniform it's because we're also coming off the heels of like such a consumer windfall especially in hollywood it was all about being out with your different bags and like just seeing people in magazines made you think you needed it for your life. Um, and if you had an endless amount of money, I'm sure that the, like, you know, that would be the thing that you do. I thought about that. Cause you brought that up when we talked about her and Ashton. And I thought about like the excess of the early to mid two thousands. And even just like, even down to something as simple as a celebrity leaving a restaurant, unless you had, and this isn't a thing anymore, but it, like people who grew up during this time and you look at these photos, it like triggers something where it was cool to have, and this is going to sound really dumb, but it's like, you know, four different drinks in your hand, three cell phones, five bags, eight scarves, sunglasses, a hat. It's like even like physically the stuff that a celebrity would carry around. Like, it was cool to be carrying... And this was also the heyday of still gifting sweets. Oh, yes. you know, that's, like, basically expired. Like, you know, the Oscar gift basket, the gifting sweets, like, those are not really done the same way. They do them with influencers a little bit more now. But basically, like, there's, you know, if it became very like good knowledge that it, these were going to get taxed all this free shit you're getting, you're going to get taxed on it. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the stuff people were walking away with were like vacations and like $10,000 yeah. gift cards. And like, you know, when you're paying tax on that, like you better be making enough to cover that. So like once that law went into effect, I think that really changed too. And of course the recession, it became less and less attractive to like be bragging about your belongings, but um, yeah, yeah, people, yeah, people accumulate stuff really quickly, especially when they have money and especially when they're depressed and like they, that's what she turned to, you know, I don't think she had, I don't think she did work out. I don't think she was like that person. I don't think she had a release other than stuff like shopping. Yeah, I think so too. I think that was like, and then obviously for him, it's like to be spending somebody else's money, I'm sure gives him 
definitely made his dick hard at the time. You know what I mean? To be spending thousands of dollars worth of money of her money on shit that they don't need frivolous things around the house. He's like convinced her that they have to have. Um, and it's also worth mentioning before we talk about them, them dying that another thing that Simon's mom mentioned uh, while he was alive was that she believed for years, even when he was a teenager, that he was, she definitely felt like he had Munchausen syndrome and she felt like he had this ability to control his body in a way where he could convince doctors and therapists and people in their family that things were happening to him that really weren't. And she started to notice it when she realized he was using it to get things from people. Um, He would have these fake seizures. Um, He would have like fake heart palpitations. Oh my God. You know, just during moments where he was like, where the, you know, where the spotlight was on him or where he was maybe being asked to like fess up to something or be accountable for some terrible thing he did. He would suddenly have like a, you know, a mini heart attack. Um, Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, while they were filming in Puerto Rico, Simon and Brittany's mom actually acquired a bug called Staphylococcus. Um, that they just called Snephalophagus? <laughs> like, I even like spelled it out. We can just it. call it Snephalophagus. Can we please? Yeah, let's just call it Snephalophagus. Okay, so they had acquired Snephalophagus in, in Puerto Rico, and it was just her mom, her mom and Simon that actually got it. Brittany was totally fine. Um, mm-hmm. They stayed in Puerto Rico for six weeks. Uh, they were there filming that movie, and Simon was like, we should just stay because we flew here, and she was on set for one day. And they were like, well, let's just hang out. Let's just have a vacay. Yeah, like a, like a you know, we've already paid to come out here. Um, so on the way home, Simon had what the press described as a mild heart attack. Brittany described it later as an asthma attack. Um, but she did administer CPR on him on the plane. And then that got out, like somehow a story leaked to the American press that he had had this crazy big giant heart attack on the plane and Brittany had to throw him to the ground and give him CPR. And it was because of this and that and drugs. And she had just been fired from this movie. So it was just another like pile on for the negative press that she was already getting. Um, which at this time, by the way, was like her worst fear. That was a lot of the reason she didn't leave her house is because she felt like anything she did at this point, whether it be get out of a car looking a certain way or go into a hospital or whatever, it would, you know, it would spark more rumors that she was like this crazy drug addict. Mm-hmm. Um, so they returned home. They went to, um, or Simon ended up giving the bug to Brittany. So she took an antibiotic. Um, she took a migraine pill in her system. These are all the things that she had. Uh, she had cough medication, um, some nasal spray in her system. And the day that she passed away, she had taken an anti-depression medication, an anti-seizure pill, an anti-inflammatory, and um, and some, uh, is it pronounced Vicoprofen? Probably. Um, to ease I think that's probably like a generic name for like Vicodin. Okay. She, they said that she took it for her period, like for cramps. Yeah, like and like that's like also like remember Nicole Richie when she got pulled over for going on the wrong side of the freeway, like her whole thing was like, Yeah, I'm on Vicodin, like I have period cramps. And they were like, Yeah, oh like, yeah. 
that doesn't fly. Like, yeah. like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's very, like, you have to have, like, endometriosis to get, like, legit painkillers for some, for your period like that. Like, I'm not going to be a bitch and be like, everyone just needs to take some leave. Like, but, like, in general, a doctor will not give you a muscle relaxer, let alone a painkiller, unless you have, like, proven to be... Which she did. It was rumored to have endometriosis, right? Right. Yeah, she did. And then um, Simon had also given her a beta blocker as well. So she was just like sort of pumped with all this shit. Um, Beta blockers are a blind spot for me. Sorry. Oh, I was literally just going to ask you if you could explain them to me. I don't really understand. So I've had like, I know a writer that takes them and I know like an actor that takes them like before a meeting or something. And apparently it just, like, it doesn't treat anxiety. It just, like, helps steady you. So, like, if you would be shaking or, like, the things that basically, like, the manifestations of physical manifestations of anxiety, I guess. If But that's basically from what I understand of it. Like, I can Google it right now. But um, the way I've had it explained to me is, like, people being like, oh, no, I don't take Xanax, but I take beta blockers. And yeah. so... Yeah, um, let me let me just look up. What does a beta blocker do? I've always had the, like, it's always, I've always in my mind thought that it was, like, a thing that, like, blocked, like, the chemical in your brain that, like, released things. Like, that, Maybe. Like, I don't know. So it says beta blockers, known as beta and geric blocking agents, are drugs that block norepinephrine nor, um, and and adrenaline from binding to beta receptors on the nerves. So basically what it does is it, um, it just like, it chills out the stuff that like come, like basically like your adrenals go up when you're nervous, right? It like chills on your adrenals from what I can understand. Um, and it says there are alpha and beta receptors in the body. These are three types of beta receptors. Um, so there's, uh, receptors located in the heart, eyes, and kidneys, um, which is interesting. Um, receptors are found in the lungs, gastrointestinal tract, liver, uterus, blood vessels, and skeletal muscle. And they're also located in fat cells, which is very interesting because, you know, she had heart problems. She did have pneumonia, which is a lung issue. Like yeah. uh, the beta blocker could could have been the thing that made the most sense for her, but I could also see it in in concert with the other medications being like, too many uppers, too many downers, um, but probably not enough to classify it as a drug overdose. Right. Which, like, when you think about how tiny and sort of, like, precious moments figurine fragile she was, um, and she was just pumped with all... I mean, even though a lot of what she was on was, like, you know, cold medication, nasal spray, like, antibiotic, but still, it's just, like, she just had so much in her system, and then at the same time, like, she just just so happened to be having her period... Um, which was causing anemia, and then she had laryngitis, which yeah. from when she got home to like the next ten days um, had just progressively gotten worse and worse to the point where her lungs were like just filled with liquid. Um, she was completely debilitated. And, and like, I'll float a theory: like maybe she had been doing like meth or something like that, and like it had kind of cleared her system, but like her. Um, her immune system became like so much lowered by it because that's what happens. Like m- drugs lower, lower your immune system. Yeah. And like 
she may be stopped because it was so bad because it had manifested to like, you know, six different symptoms. And, um, that's why she was clean of it. Um, I could see that being the case and also why she was so medicated when they got her because like you'd probably, if you were withdrawing or something and refusing to go to the hospital, you'd probably want to counteract that. Damn, that's so crazy. I mean, she was just so tiny. Like, it's just like, I'm imagining her tiny little, like, frail body in bed, just like lungs filled with liquid, anemic, like laryngitis. You know what I mean? Also, like, the symptoms of a common cold, which to me are like, I'm like a total pussy when it comes to being sick. So, like, that's also debilitating for me. You know what I mean? It's just like a lot. And for like 10 straight days. Yeah, I know. Well, wait, hold on. Hold on. This is really interesting. So first of all, I Googled how long does it take meth to get out of your system? And it rec- like re-saved uh, as how long does it take meth to get out of your system? <laughs> uh, uh. If I look at it, so recoveryvillage.com is the source here. Um, and it says um, basically the metabolizing method, blah, 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 meth half-life detection times. So um, essentially people say that it could take about 10 to 14 days to get out of the system. So that could align with her. It says, yeah. So it it could be, wait, sorry. It will leave your system um, four to six hours after use for up to three to six days. Um, Saliva tests can detect meth within five to 10 minutes after use and up to 72 hours. Hair tests can detect meth within 10 to 14 days after use and up to 90 days. Now, I don't know if this family, if they got this death diagnosis, um, if they would even bother to go get her hair tested because the coroner's report wouldn't have shown meth in her system. Yeah, But it could have been a perfect storm of like her detoxing and trying to get off of this. And that's being why she didn't show up for it. But like 10 to 14 days after use, like, or like, you know, or whatever, if it takes three to six days to get out of your system, she could have been using it up until six days before she died. Damn. Oh God. It's just like so crazy. You have to, you have to request like, um, a toxicity report. Like they can process them pretty quickly for murders or whatever. But if it's like a family thing, um, you know, first it could take six months, you know, to find out, or sometimes a year to find out if someone was on drugs when they died. Um, you know, that's why sometimes it takes so long to hear it, or we never really get a follow up at all, like because the media has moved on. Um, right. I don't think that would have been the case here, but I think it would have been on the family to request um, a, like a broader toxicology report. Another thing about this that makes me really sad that I read was that she, um, so Brittany's mom said that during the day, the, mor- the, the morning of the day that Brittany died, uh, Brittany called for her mom to come upstairs, like over like their intercom, was like begging for her to come upstairs. She was hysterical. And when her mom walked into her room, she was laying on a patio chair on, a, um, on their patio and she was uh, like gasping and she was saying, mommy, I can't breathe. Please help me. Um, I'm going to die. I love you. Like, you know, crying and like gasping oh, for air. Sad. And her mom and Simon sort of viewed her as like a dramatic person who, you know, Brittany was sick a lot. Like she spent a lot of time in quotes sick. So 
they sort of didn't really think anything of it. Like they thought that she was being a little bit overdramatic. Um, they didn't take her seriously. Um, she also asked for um, oxygen. She said like, uh, can I get like, um, like an, cause they had like an oxygen machine in her room and Simon denied it. Cause he said like that it would fuck with her heart. So, you know, I mean, the doctors did say, and not to like skip ahead to her post death, but like they did say that she prop like most likely would have been fine had they just taken her to a doctor. Um, but she wouldn't go to the doctor because she was worried that the paparazzi would film her going in and out of the hospital. And, you know, Simon was also like doctor shopping and it had been discovered during this time that he had like, you know, relationships with all these different doctors who finally started communicating and they were like, who is this fucking guy? Um, Brittany was also getting pills under a bunch of different aliases Mm -hmm. from different doctors. So there was a lot of like hospital paranoia, but like she definitely probably would have been fine had they just taken her to a hospital and she was like treated by an actual doctor, which is like really sad. Can I also throw out some um, common symptoms like from um, withdrawing from meth? Oh, yeah. Irritability, intense drug cravings, mood swings, depression, sleeping problems, agitation, anxiety, paranoia, hallucinations, fatigue, and inability to concentrate, and aches and pains. Um, And that's just sort of in the acute phase, which is the first like couple weeks. And then after that, it's cravings, problem with th- problem with thinking and memory, sleeping problems, and depression. Damn! Like check, 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 check. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. like pretty, and like there are ways to detox at home. Like from what I'm reading, like it's like you have to have basically a psychiatrist that's going to work with you on it, which could be like you know maybe they kind of figured out what the routine would be and like got those like um pills from different people but um i know that she was found with an antipsychotic in her system which is like one of the things that they use for um detox um as well as um antidepressants and over the pain um over the counter pain medicine damn it's just like it's wild to me that they I mean, I know that, like, they had their own weird little world thing going on, and, like, there was so much weirdness happening in that house that, like, they themselves probably thought was, like, normal. But the fact that this had been happening for 10 consecutive days and not one time during her saying, like, I feel like I'm going to die, nobody said, like, let's just get her to a fucking doctor. Even if we do get in trouble, even if we do get papped, like, you know what I mean? Let's, like, go against her judgment and just force her to a fucking doctor. Like, you know what I mean? Just anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So around 7.30 a.m., uh, Brittany made her way to her bathroom uh, where she told her mom that she didn't feel well. She said, in quotes, Mommy, I don't feel well. And then around 8, she collapsed, and her mom screamed for Simon to call 911. Uh, Simon moved Brittany's body into the shower, and uh, Sharon talked um, Simon through resuscitating her, which TMZ released audio of their conversation with the with the paramedics or with nine one one with dispatch, mm-hmm. and um, she was rushed to Cedar Sinai and pronounced dead at ten a.m. Um, initially, Simon refused the autopsy. He said that it it violated his Orthodox Jewish tradition, and then yep. he them like violating her body. Um, 
And he, the coroner insisted that they examine her. And that was when it was discovered that she had died of pneumonia, anemia, and a cocktail of prescription medications. Yeah. Oh, God. And then uh, he also determined that she was, like I said earlier, she was sick for two full weeks. Um, So at any point during that time, if she had gone to a hospital, like she had a really, really high chance of being fine. Um, And then maybe it was like she knew that if she went to a hospital, she would have a full battery of tests on her that would probably eventually lead to a drug test. Yeah. And it would 100% have gotten out. Yeah, because, like, you know, we're still in a place where, like, they'll follow, like, Haley Bieber to, like, the gynecologist or whatever. Yeah. But, like, back then, people would camp outside of, a like, a hospital, outside of Cedars, to, like, catch someone coming out of their 5150 holes. Like, mm-hmm. it was nasty. And, like, I think that now, like, even though people would still probably try and get those pictures, it would be much more widely frowned upon, which would make them worth a lot less money. So, like, you will see, like, you know, the occasional person trying to, like, go track down Kim K's surrogate. But for the most part, people want to stay away from that. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, I, I mentioned this all the time when I talk about somebody, especially during this period, who passed away, is that they missed, you know, they sort of just missed within the next few years where people get, like, a little tiny bit more woke about, the treatment of celebrities and like, well, I think that they, they fell off. That was their cross to bear. They really like, you know, they fell on that sword for us. Like it was stuff like this that sort of started to make people think, Oh, this is like a dirty business. Like it feels bad to look at that. It feels bad to see someone, you know, cause like there was a lot of time, like during that whole fucking Matt Lauer interview with Brittany or whatever, where like, she's begging them to stop. Like, that was like, people were like, she's crazy. Right. Like, that is really sad about the paparazzi. That's crazy, though. Like, there was a, for many, many years, there was conversations around how crazy the paparazzi was. But like, that was the conversation. It wasn't like, they're yeah. so crazy and it needs to stop. Mainstream media did not want to stop, like, paparazzi violating people until it became in vogue because... Like, someone started to, like, finally take a stance. Like, one, you know, I think it was People Magazine, for example, said, like, we're not going to buy pictures of kids coming out of school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it's, like, thank you for, after years of trying to, like, run teenage girls off of, like, cliffs. Like, you guys have, like, woken up or whatever. Right. Um, Like, it's insane. Um, But I read this quote from this guy named Rex Bieber, who was, like, a a psychologist in LA who had like a relationship with Brittany that wasn't medical, but he didn't know her. And um, he basically said that Simon's behavior was consistent with that of a sociopath and very common sort of age old cliche of a person with sociopathic, sociopathic personality disorder uh, coming in contact with a narcissist. Brittany was a narcissist. She had been sort of like, trauma beaten into this like self-absorbed self-obsessed perspective on life and um you know had kind of completely taken control of her and he said they have a kind of blood instinct for weakness of people around them he said in his way simon did love britney but that was the part of his sickness and he said he was mentally ill and couldn't help preying on her at a time when she was highly susceptible to the oily charm and false promises and outright lies of a man like him. 
And wow. uh, I know. And, you know, it's like, like I said earlier, Britney's death is like one of those, it's one of those deaths that will just go on for like, I mean, we'll never know what happened and people will always it's just have. just heartbreaking. It is. And then he, you know, Simon was found dead on May 23rd, five months after Britney, um, in his, in the same bedroom, very similar causes. He had acute pneumonia and severe anemia. So two of the three, um, and yeah, I mean, like, what do you, like, what is, do you have, like, a theory? Like, do you Okay, I have, like, dry? one very unpopular, well, like, I don't know if it's unpopular, but I will say it's controversial theory okay. that a friend floated to me, like, around the time that it happened. And, like, the way that they said it, I was almost like, do you know something? Yeah. Um, but he was, like, the whole Brittany Murphy thing, like, doesn't it seem like maybe they had HIV or AIDS? Oh, and I was like, because it was like after the after um, he had died as well, mm-hmm. and I was like, the more obviously the older I get, and like the more I th- I'm like, no, probably not. But I also know that there's like a lot of shame around people, like putting that on someone's history. You know, if they right. haven't been open about it in their life, like I would say that that's like akin to like outing someone it's like their per- personal like shit you know yeah, yeah for sure. um i will say that like i have wondered if there was something like some sort of like poisoning thing or maybe something like that i do think that you know sharon and simon and you should like post this to the instagram or whatever but like the picture of them when she died um they it's a picture of the two of them on the stoop of the house that she died in and they're holding a picture of her um oh, in a, yeah. where she looks like a fucking drug addict yeah uh, out of all the movies out of everything she ever did they chose this like highly stylized publicity shot from a not necessarily great period of her life yeah and that's how they chose to memorialize her and i assume that this was not her favorite role And as someone who was, you know, like insecure about her looks and everything else, I would be really shocked if that this is something she would have wanted or approved of. And I mean, I guess I would say that I don't find it impossible that maybe they, like Sharon had been sort of poisoning her or something. Um, and because there was a lot of rumors that the two that Sharon and Simon were sleep, you know, they were sleeping in the same bed like that. And they, by, by the way, never contested that that was true. They said that it's not a sexual thing. It was like a comfort thing because it was like the bed that he and Brittany shared. And like they were both, both so like just distraught that they had gotten like, you know, really close and bonded over the death. And then I thought, you know, and then when Simon died, I was like, okay, um, you know, that's fishy. Yeah. Then, you know, today with just like, you know, finding out that Britney's dad who'd been in like a vegetative state at like age 92 finally passed when, you know, yes, he didn't have a huge part in her life. But if you suspect that something really horrible happened to your daughter to like exhume a body to like demand a body to be exhumed, which by the way, like she's at Hollywood forever. She's probably in the tombs. Like, that is a that is a big deal. And yeah. I would like to think that he wouldn't do it like erroneously. Like he wouldn't just do it like like on an impulse. Like oh yeah. like 
let's see what this turns up. Cause that's a big deal. And like, you'd have to be a very bad person to do that. Um, but you know, upon his death today, I can't help but think that the only person who really knows what happened during that whole thing is Sharon Murphy. I think so too. I think that she's really the only one that knows. And I hate that too. I think that she's going to like, and she'll die knowing and we'll never, we'll never know. And you know, I don't think that she herself was a sociopath or something like that. I don't, I mean, maybe she was a narcissist. I could see that being the case for sure. And like, you know, narcissism makes you very unfeeling and it also makes you feel very entitled. And you know, if, you know, if, uh, you know, Brittany had been on like her, um, if she'd been like in a great place in her life, like, I don't think it would have benefited anyone for her to die, but like where she was and if the drug use had been rampant, like I could see someone opportunistic and self-motivated trying to find ways to take them down. And I could also see, you know, Simon manipulating her into thinking that maybe this could be something after she was gone. Because, you know, she herself, like, there's never any record of her, like, having dated or her having, you know, a boyfriend or there was never any talk about that. And then, and and what is that life? You know, like, what is like this older sexless woman like locked away in a house with her daughter like yeah and i definitely feel like like when you marry britney or when you're in a relationship with britney like we've established that you're in one basically with her mom as well like it just kind of comes along with the territory and i feel like like we mentioned earlier there was a lot of really weird dark shit happening in that house and she was privy to all of it like they really had let their guard, you know, they had like let as a couple, their guard was completely down around her. And yeah, I definitely think she saw a lot of things that would probably really help this case. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, um, which is really sad, but yeah, I mean, it's like, there's I another just, thing too. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. That just is hitting me. So like Simon tried to call out his, um, his orthodox judaism mm-hmm. and i know that britney's mom was jewish but she throughout her life like i'm kind of looking at she apparently identified as christian and like would dabble in like buddhism and other spiritual la like you know a lot of buddhism is jacked for you know la culture yeah. and like i could see her feeling like that was a dip in and maybe i think she, i remember her even having something to do with kabbalah but I definitely, I know she was married in a Jewish ceremony to Simon. I know that. But I do wonder what's up with that. Yeah. Like, what's it like when, like, like, wh- why was she for many years identifying publicly as a Christian? It wasn't like it was never, like, it wasn't like it wasn't in vogue to be Jewish in Hollywood. Like, as an actress, I just don't, I don't understand, like, why there's that. Like, cause like someone's like ties, like their beliefs, I think is very important to like, you know, like no matter how they identify, if they practice or not, I think when someone says they identify as something, it's intentional and it like, it, it, it's supposed to reflect something like either how they want to be seen or how they, how they feel. And, um, to, 
like, I'm not saying this is like some Jewish conspiracy. Like, I don't mean it like that at all. But I just think it's very convenient that, like, that Simon's Judaism came out so quickly. But that also Brittany should have probably, like, you know, according to, like, the way that Jewish tradition works, been raised Jewish because of her mom. Yeah, well, that and also it's, like, for a man who... Like, he just chose this random time to, like, be spiritual when he's been running through... It's not like... Like, if he was somebody who lived his life in a way that had proven, like, justifiable in the sense that he was, like, the spiritual being who... Like, he was, like... uh, uh, He was Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can, just, like, ruining people's lives left and right. It wasn't like he was living some, like, spiritual... Uh, yeah facet of a of a spiritual life for like since he was 15 so then to be like oh by the way i'm also extremely 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 religious and she can't be touched it's like it just felt like an opportunistic thing to be like i don't know you know what i mean it, it just feels like everything that this guy does feels like skeezy and like sketchy rightfully so but it just felt like so out of place that all of a sudden all of a sudden we're religious right and then and then there's another thing, um, which is that when she, like, years later, her blood was tested and she was found to have, like, a very high level of of, um, of heavy metals in her body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that about? So, basically, like, um, the heavy metals were found in her body um, in 2013. So, it was four years after her death. And... Um, Basically, it was saying that she died from pneumonia, but her dad, that's what made her dad really want the independent test was the heavy presence of heavy metals, right? right. So common signs of heavy metal toxicity, I'm reading this from like thegoodinside.com. Um, it says chronic fatigue, digestive discomfort, brain fog, immune issues, headaches, achy joints, and rashes. So these are like, these are like, I want to look up more like um, how heavy metals get into the body, like in a bad way. Um, but because, like, there's ways um, that they can enter that are like pretty much we're all sub- susceptible to them. Right. But, um, okay, so one, public water, um, mm-hmm. two, beauty products. And oh, yeah. that's what they were, you know, her mom said it was the hair dye. But like, oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. Towards the end of her life, like she had brunette hair, and like was probably, if anything, like just doing like a rinse on it. Like it's not like heavy yeah. and stuff like that. So like I kind of am like, all right, I guess I could see that, but not really. Um, it also says pesticides and herbicides. So um, that would be like any sort of like lawn product or whatever. Um, and also stuff that like winds up on fruit and vegetables that we eat. Um, dental fillings. Um, in my mind, I kind of feel like that's something that she wouldn't have been dealing with because she had veneers. She had like, you know, she doesn't have those like silver colored dental fillings. She had white, you know, right. actresses didn't have those anymore. Um, furniture is something. So like Brittany, um, Murphy could have been killed by Britney Spears because they also hold toxic, they can hold toxic mold, but, um, furniture apparently has a lot of heavy metal in it. Um, including mattresses, automobile seat covers, couches, um, and more. Um, but do you think any of these things would be something that would like leave traces like in any of our bodies of like heavy amounts of heavy metal? Um, so like, let's look up like extreme 
extreme sources of oh heavy metal poisoning the effects of toxic metals okay so okay so like mercury poisoning we know this right we've heard of this um jeremy what's his face piven said oh, he yeah, yeah. sushi and quit a play right right um aluminum toxins it says is uh, ridiculously common um it's in like a lot of uh, foil, cookware, whatever. Um, it's also um, exposure is common when in occupations like welding and mining. Um, and like the stuff that falls under that is like nasal sprays. She had a lot of nasal spray, right? Yes, she did. Nasal spray, um, antacids, anti-diarrhea medication, um, hemorrhoid medication, vaginal douches, vaccines, um, lead toxins, um, which is hazardous. Um, that comes from drinking water, old homes and tobacco smoke, um, dust flakes and lead based paint. Um, and, um, when it enters the body, it goes in the bloodstream and starts depositing itself in the body, bone, soft tissue, and the brain. It's harmful for children and pregnant women. Um, that can be found in antiques, car batteries, cable cutter coverings, uh, cigarettes, crystal paints, pesticides, PVC, plastic, etc. Um, it also says toys and products imported from China. I'm like low-key racist, okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how dare you? Um, and then like it's also in a variety of foods, like for uh, cadmium toxins, uh, shelled seized, uh, uh, cabbage, french fries, cookies, celery, potatoes. Um, but I really want to know where like I'm, I want to know like what the real, what the real tea is, because I wonder if you can like poison someone with this. That is my, that's my concern. Yeah. Like I, I guess, yeah, I still don't have like a good gauge as far as like, like how much of that I'm thinking about like myself, like I'm reading off the the list and thinking like all of those things that would be in me. And like, if I died today, like, would they be like extremely high levels? Heavy metal basics, arsenic, cadmium, copper, iron, lead, mercury, zinc. By the way, who knew I was a fucking scientist? <laughs> Honey, I got to run because I have to get back to my shift at NASA. Um, but let me just finish. Uh, so it says, who gets heavy metal poisoning? Work in a factory that uses heavy metals. Breathe in old lead paint dust when you fix up your home. Eat fish caught in an area with high levels of mercury. Use herbal medicines that have metals in them. Okay. okay. Like, that's not chronic okay. poisoning. Um, like, okay, let's look up, like, um, heavy metal poisoning for murder. Let's look that up. Oh, yeah. Because this was, like, such a big deal. Like, the metal. Like, this was, like, the thing that had her dad kind of, like, going crazy during this time where he was like, no, there's something else going on. Yeah, I like, by the way, like, I'm fucking Casey Anthony right now, like, trying to Google, like, fucking um, chloroform right now. Like, what, like literally, if, as I, like, write this in, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so heavy metal poisoning for murder. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay. All right, so I'm going to look up this thing called like uh 10 horrific poisonings or whatever heavy metal poisoning i'm looking it up too this is like so hairy at the spy right now both of us like tapping away you know um so uh 1994 21 year old student in beijing 
started to suffer from unexplained medical problems. These included hair loss, blurred vision, and acute stomach pain. She eventually fell into a coma. Desperate for help, her friends decided to turn to the internet while it was still in its infancy in China at the time. They uh, shared the story on several news groups providing a detailed description of her symptoms. They wound up receiving thousands of responses, many from who believed that she'd been uh, poisoned by toxic heavy metal known as thallium. Subsequent tests uh, confirmed that Zhu did, in Jack, uh, did indeed uh, have high levels of it in her body. Doctors were able to save her life. The prime suspect has always been her roommate at university who happened to be one of the only students with access to thallium. However... Some of Sunway's family members are powerful communist party, party ops. Okay, so I doubt that this really applies to Sharon. Um, but that's interesting. So thallium, how could, that, how could that pop up in people's systems? I mean, is that a... Let me see if that's like one of the main ones. Um, German man suspected of killing 21 coworkers by poisoning their food with... Um, Mercury lace remedy from India. Wait, no, 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 wait. Hold on. I'm on the weirdest. See, like, and it'll also never not be weird that Brittany Murphy was like 115 pounds and like five foot tall, and he was Maybe like this she wasn't eating because her mom was fucking poisoning her. Well, that he was like this 400 pound like sloth, and that they died of like the same causes. Right. Like that's like that's also like that is definitely one hundred percent. You know, like it's funny, like that he died six months later because one one might suggest that like it's probably would take six more months to poison him than her. I mean, yeah, actually, you're right. Um, but one thing that's like, uh, God, I don't know what was I what was I gonna say? Um, oh, Molly, I forgot one. It was something that I was sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, oh, I was gonna say, like, for all the cameras in their house, like, oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. way that they did this, like, I will say, if Sharon Murphy and even if Simon, if he was in on it or not, like, they created a pretty interesting situation by keeping it that her in the house because. Like they would literally have to like put out a warrant for like for that footage to be taken. So if there yeah. is any footage of all this happening, like there, yeah, we've heard the nine one one call, but like if they were all pimped out with cameras the way that we were told they were, we could have footage of her dying in the bathroom. Yeah, depending on the angle that was shot from, and I'm sure if like she was worried about like in- people like sneaking in like jumping up on her, she probably would have had a door angle of her bathroom, and like you know who knows like there could be just like they they did a good job of also like if they did a good job if this was the case like creating a paranoia around her and sequestering her was like a very good way to get away with this yeah because, like no one knew what her life was. Like, we didn't know. We knew first she was sick for 10 days, right? But, like, in those 10 days, like, usually when people, like, drop dead and it's, like, a shock, like, we still, we've seen them out or whatever. Right. Or it's surprising if we don't see them. That's why people are like, whatever happened to so-and-so? But, like, there was never, Brittany Murphy never really had a nonstop presence in the media that wasn't just, like, pictures of her 
on Robertson Boulevard and like on, on romantic dates with one of her boyfriends or at a premiere. Like, so like we knew where she was. We just didn't really know how she lived her life. And that could have very well been used against her. That could have all been a plot, you know, as much as I, I hate to say it because it sounds so awful um, to think that like, you know, her mom would do this or something, but no, but you're right though, because that is sort of like that feeds into our paranoia, the, the public about her death is that we didn't, she was so secretive and so private and they lived behind gates and, and a wall and, you know, they never left their house. Like everything that she did during these years of her life was just so secretive. I mean, it would literally, I mean, she was like living like Shelley Duvall, literally. Like it- I know. And then I just found this heartbreaking quote. I'm like looking at Brittany Murphy quotes. She said, home is where my mom is. Oh God. Oh my God. Oh, so sad. I'm and not- I'm not out here trying to say I think Sharon Murphy murdered her. I think that Brittany, first of all, I don't even think their relationship was that creepy. I think they, you know, there's a, a thing with single moms and their, and their only children that that is a very, like, it, that's a really difficult bond to sever. And it's also a bond that, like, lends itself to a lot of unhealthy behavior that goes unchecked because there's not anyone else in the nuclear family. And... You know, I don't blame, I don't think Sharon, because she was around her daughter a lot, I don't think that that's what, what makes me feel like she is a murderer. I just think that like, you know, I would like to think that if I died, whether I was in the house or not, my mom would like do everything she could to find out like why this happened. Yeah, Like sure. a young, beautiful actress drops dead of pneumonia, like unless you know something we don't know, why aren't you out here searching harder for that? It's not normal. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I don't like, I feel like in the past like three episodes, like I've may have portrayed uh, the idea that like, I think her mom was creepy because I've been calling the really, I mean, like I've been like referring to them as like having like a little bit of a weird relationship, but like when it comes down to it, there are so many other celebrities who have, are known for having relationships like this with their moms and or whoever like their their guardian is when they get into the industry really young a really good example is brandy like brandy's always been known yeah. as a girl that as a teenager you did not fuck with because her mom would never ever not be on set not be right there with her watching every single thing every conversation it was contract signed. Here. she wasn't permissive yeah, like it was like very, very obvious. So it's like this isn't really incom- like it's it's actually sad that this is weird because there's we're so used to people pimping out their kids that that feels more normal to us. But like you know, they had a close relationship because they were all each other. They were all they had was each other. And but all that said, like I mean, it's it's like it's also devil's advocate when I say that because part of me will say like. Yeah, maybe there was aspects of this relationship that it was natural to their circumstances, but I definitely don't think the way this ended that implies to me that like I'm giving it a lot of credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- yeah, towards the I I would say like at the beginning it was justifiable and then towards the end it was something that had like cr- it turned into its own sort of like crazy yeah. that we, you can't even really describe. 
Um, yeah, it's so it's so sad. I, I mean, you know, obviously we can sit here and like say that over and over again all day, but like it is, it's like it's it's really heartbreaking what happened, you know. Yeah, I mean, do you have any before we end on this really somber note? Do you have any closing statements that we're closing this Brittany Murphy chapter for good on the podcast? Um, I just like I think she was like a phenomenal actress. I think that like the end of her legacy is like I think that she is someone that she is going to have a comeuppance again where like the way that we do like Brad Renfro is having that moment right now. Obviously it's a little bit different because his is like regarding um you know Brian Singer and those allegations and, and mm-hmm. like, you know, the things that are known to be true. Let's just say right. that. And you know, we've lost a lot of young lives in Hollywood that are viewed as like out of control tragedies. That was like, you know, the BuzzFeed article really um, nailed that on the head is that like, we're a much more empathetic community now. You know, even the way we handled like Corey Monteith is like, who was like a guy on one show, let alone Brad Renfro, who we like grew up with. Right. Um, you know, like we have like great sympathy for someone like Corey Monteith now. Right. And like, um, I think with Brad Renfro, like, or whatever, with Brittany Murphy, we're going to see this comeuppance that, like, this thing where, whoa, they were wronged at the time. Like, a Monica Lewinsky or someone else. Like, I just rewatched all of Monica Lewinsky's, like, interviews from, like, when she was in her 20s and this all happened. And, like, she was such a young, cute, funny... Oh, yeah. ...open, interested, liberal young lady... And, like, we all know now, right? Like, I don't even have to say that, like, she was wronged. Right. But, like, it took us, like, 20 years to come around to that. And as a society, to be like, this is fucked up. Yeah. That this is, like, done wrong. And I think that, you know, it's going to be some the 20th anniversary of some movie or, you know, Clueless, didn't, Clueless wasn't it. Um, but it's going to be, like, the 20th anniversary of some movie that she made that she really impacted you know, um, society with. And I think that she was in a lot of them, um, really, really great cultural movement movies. Um, I think that she will, I think that she will be redeemed at some point. And, and the, you know, the reality of her death will always be a mystery. Um, I think maybe we'll find out much, much later the way that we find out about like old Hollywood. Now, when we find out about like affairs that happened between movie stars in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. I think that we could find out something someday from someone who knows something, but you know, ultimately like I do think that she, she's, I'm not too worried for the legacy of Brittany Murphy because I think her body of work speaks for itself. And you know, if anything, like she will be more celebrated retrospectively than she would have at the time of her death. And it's a, a shame she had to go out feeling hated and paranoid and scared. But I also don't think that that's a state anyone should have to live in either. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like the number one thing in all of this, obviously, besides the fact that she didn't make it was that like she died, you know, for somebody who up until the day she died, like just loved the loved entertainment, like loved the entertainment industry even still, and was still sort of clawing to be um, accepted into it, even in her. um, It's sad that she died feeling like you know, she died being described as a one star, like as somebody who used to be a big deal and that wasn't anymore. And like, that kills me. She also like did her work. Like that's the other thing too, is that she wasn't like, 
you know, you hear a lot of young actresses and like, you're like, what's your inspiration? And they're like, Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly. And I'm like, that's because like your manager told you to like watch that to like pop up on film history. And like, that's an easy entry, but like Brittany from, you know, what I've always read in interviews and like things I remember saying is that she had like a really, um, she had a good understanding of film and film history. And like acting, and I think that that came from sort of growing up being, um, you know, in theater. And she also like, you know, I think was a true artist about it. Like, um, you know, I read somewhere in this words, you know, historically inappropriate now, but at the time she sort of referred to herself as like a gypsy, where she likes to go around making art in different areas. And you know, um, I think that like that's just like all stuff that kind of like makes me. It makes me really think that, like, it's such a shame that we lost her because she's someone who really loved her craft, and that really showed up in her acting. And, um, and you know, I think that that was seldom praised at the time if you were a young actress. Now, you know, maybe it's a little bit different, but, like, typically, like, people ask older actors and, like, consider their knowledge to be sage and round. But, like, for a young actress, she was very educated on her craft yeah i totally agree with that i mean like it can't be argued that britney murphy was like an, a real she was a real actress that fell into a subcategory of like party girl like drug addict that w- did not represent her at all and that's really fucked up but i will say if if any if there's nothing else that you take away from this podcast, please just go watch the dead girl. Like I actually like watched it again. Cause I own it. And I watched it again the other night. And I think I bought it after we talked, but I haven't watched it yet. I'm so excited for you to watch it. Like it's such a, it like truly changed my entire perspective of Brittany Murphy as an actress. And like, I've always thought she was incredible, but that movie really, really blew me away. So if you take away nothing, people listening, go watch the dead girl and just cry. Like allow yourself a gut wrenching, like lights out, cuddled up with a blanket, like, like howl cry. Yeah. You deserve it. <laughs> you deserve and, it after this. <laughs> and Brittany Murphy, man, we love you. Okay. You'll never be forgotten in our hearts. No. I, I can speak for me and Troy and say, you're iconic. I know you're listening to this in heaven yeah. and we love you. Yes. We love you. And we hope not sporadically. Not the honey. Oh my God. I love you. You're so funny. I hope not sporadically. (laughs) Molly, thank you so much for doing this with me. Like legit, like for real. You're welcome. It's Wags' feeding time. I've been summoned (laughs) down. He was hitting his bowl with his claw. (laughs) I was afraid that you would be able to hear that. So I came down. So um, old man Wags has to eat. (laughs) <laughs> but I love you, and I'll text you in a little bit. Um, Smushroom audience members, uh, fuck yeah. Thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah, seriously. Thanks for listening. This was super fun. And I'll text you, and I love you. Thank you so much. I love you. And I think we might we might want to run this in the main feed again. I, I just want people to keep getting that sweet, sweet Troy. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye, babe. Thank you for listening to The Smush Room, an emotionally broken psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps your boy. Also, make sure to head over to patreon.com slash evpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon-exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. You can also follow this podcast at 
EBP underscore Smushroom. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.